Thank you for this invitation to come and speak here this morning. It's very lovely. It's my second time here. Uh, First time speaking to a group. And uh, just sitting in Zazen just a little before, of course the mind's not completely empty. (coughs) And uh, really picking up on the, the, the beautiful intentions that have come through this place. So, uh, Shogun Trumpa Rinpoche coming, I don't know what year it was he came, but Shogun Trumpa Rinpoche coming and using this place as a Dharma center with a wish to you know, teach the Dharma that beings may be liberated from suffering. And in his unique and uh, creative way. And then later, uh, Isan Dorsey living here and, and uh, you know, being moved, very deeply moved his compassion being awakened by seeing people dying on the streets and being you know, just left neglected and dying on the streets and that he, his, you know, many people saw many people walked by and he didn't you know, he didn't walk by but he brought people in into beds and with, with his own hands you know, took care fed and bathed and cared for people. It's very, very deeply moving when I think of that. That uh, you know, it's not a not a pretty thing to be doing. It's not neat and tidy and orderly. It's it's uh, the messy and chaotic side of life. And uh, but the compassion in his heart was moved to to bring that in bring that in, bring the chaos in and put a balm of compassion on the suffering of those people. So uh, just as I sit here in this space, this is though um, sometimes they say that an old building absorbs the the thoughts and intentions of the people who've been in it. So as I sit here, I kind of feel like this place is imbued with those uh, really beautiful intentions and actions and uh, of course it's the, it's the new year it's the first week of the new year and <coughs> we start the new year with good intentions I don't know if anyone's made new year's resolutions and so on but it's a time when we tend to think of like, or, uh, like brush up the intentions for the coming year and uh, we had a ceremony at the New Year with a group of about 40 of us, um, letting go, consciously letting go of our um, regrets and maybe failings over the last year, and speaking out for all to hear our intention for the New Year. Not uh, not things like I'm going to give up eating chocolate or anything like that, <laughs> <laughs> but much more like qualities that we want to develop that are, that are inherent so mine was patience I used to think I was a patient person until I uh, moved to a local Bihara in San Francisco <laughs> now I realise oh I really need to develop patience because um, you know the, the path when we practice you know we, we come, when we first come to the practice we do we all come with, with uh, a mixture of good and, and bad a mixture of uh, wholesome spiritual qualities and uh, bad habits 
and and also deeply ingrained um, <coughs> many resistances to life as it manifests. So um, it can come with with great aspiration. I certainly was quite high when I first came to the, to the monastic life, a real sense of joy and uh, um, almost rapture in able to be able to live in this way and uh, and develop my mind and. and it, at that, in those early days, had no idea how much uh, dross I would have to work through in the practice, and how long it would take that 20 years down the line I would have to make an intention to cultivate patience. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have thought that. But that's the truth of it, you know, because the, the path takes you ever deeper, ever deeper, ever deeper. And, you know, we think we're compassionate, we think we're wise. I thought I was very wise in my early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much now. And, um, you know, we think, and, and we are at, in a, to a certain degree, but then, you know, life and the, and the practice keeps challenging that and challenging that and challenging that more and more deeply. So, uh, you know, we have to keep working through more and more layers of the delusions that we hold and the, the, defenses, the, the defenses that we use consciously or unconsciously and uh, you know, if, if we're really genuinely dedicated to awakening then we have to keep meeting those places again and again and again and opening to them taking interest in them seeing where, where does this come from how would it be if I didn't hold this this defence this protectiveness this fear if I didn't move away from this present moment into something else that I'd like better in the future that's waiting for me but I just meet this this moment as it is So just to you know, ask ourselves that question, how would it be if I you know, just open to this? Or what is stopping me from fully opening right now? So when we're sitting in the zendo, it's much easier to fully open. We have this beautiful form, even though I'm not so clear of it yet. And uh, you know, people agree to, to sit in silence. There's a basic, very high ethic that is held in this space and so it's very easy in this kind of held and protective space to open but a lot of the time life isn't like this you know it's, it's coming at you from all sides so that question needs to be asked in the midst of the challenges what stops me from fully opening to this right now so that might be enough in itself just to open the mind, open the heart. Or it might be that we see clearly what it is. I'm afraid, or I really don't like that person. Or I don't want to be here, I want to be doing something else. And then we see that, and it's like, I don't want to be here, I want to be doing something else. And I'm here. So, here I am. This is my life right now, at this moment opening for that and uh, as I was thinking about uh, Isan Dorsey and his 
his um, incredible compassion as I was sitting here a little bit earlier on you know, just, it also in seeing that it also reminds me of those places where my heart is, is where it reminds me of the place where my heart is moved by that and it aspires to that and also those places where my heart does the opposite when it closes down where it doesn't want to know so uh, you know we can hold the example of someone who has stepped beyond that to use like a mirror for our own still unawakened minds and I don't know about you but for me when I see um, noble behaviour you know in that way compassionate and wise action in whatever form it manifests doesn't matter how it looks or how it's dressed what it's called doesn't matter but when I see that uh, that manifesting in the world it, it makes my heart rise up I want to also be that open I would also like to be able to respond to life in a compassionate way in a wise way and then uh, there's the reality of the you know the dark places the fearful places the contracted places the confused places in the mind and when I say mind I mean the heart mind but in, in Pali we call the chitta this mind and so then to really turn and look at those places you know the Buddha uh, pointed to the four noble truths as the, as the heart of the Buddha's teaching and the first noble truth is there is dukkha or there is suffering so in that moment where the heart closes or turns away from what's going on there is dukkha there is suffering right there and what we tend to do is we we move with it we turn away we justify it we create stories as to why we have to do that but the Buddha is saying turn towards that suffering turn towards that painful feeling and see where does that come from what is the cause of that suffering and when we look we see the cause of it is the identification of me and mine wanting things to be other than how they are craving for something pleasant or to get away from something unpleasant so that is the cause of our suffering it's, it's we, we create it, we add on top <coughs> of our experience and we create suffering and then he points to there is a, an end there is a cessation of suffering and when we let go when we, when we open or release around that, that tightening when we let go then there's the release it's, it's the ending of suffering not maybe complete enlightenment but in that moment we're no longer creating suffering out of the uh, experience that we're in right now we're opening to it it doesn't mean it has to be nice it doesn't have to be you know, the body isn't always going to be comfortable aches and pains gets sick, dies at some point it's going to happen so if, we, if our willingness to open is dependent on pleasant conditions then there's suffering already inherent in that uh, equation so learning to open to life as it is as, it, as we meet it in each moment and seeing the, the places where 
it's difficult to do that and then really shining the light of awareness on those difficult places and working on those places because they're the places that will free us so not to kind of gloss over it and I'll say, well, I've always been like that. You know, if you do that, then you just keep creating the same old patterns again and again. But to take an interest in those places where we're stuck, where we keep tripping up, or where we keep turning away, closing down, reaching out for something else. So to really take an interest in those places and to try to understand what's, what's going on here. How can I open? And then the, the Buddha gives the, the Noble Eightfold Path as the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. And the Noble Eightfold Path basically covers pretty much everything in life. And it begins with the understanding of impermanence, the Four Noble Truths. So recognizing that everything in our experience is changing. What we take to be ourselves is changing all the time. So it's, it's not just changing, it's, it's in a constant state of flux. This floor is in a constant state of flux, even though it doesn't look like it. But it is. It was a tree at one time. These were trees at one time. And before there were trees, there were little seeds growing on a tree. And then trees were cut down, they became and they were milled, and then they became planks, and then they became a floor, probably quite a long time ago, became a floor. And now it's uh, in the process of flooring right now. <laughs> and it's varnished, so it's kind of protected, so it could be flooring for quite a long time. Uh, but at some point it's going to fall apart, or there'll be an earthquake, and it'll all break up, and it'll then it'll start to decay, and it'll go back to the earth, and maybe a seed will drop in there and a tree will grow, who knows. But it's at this moment, it's in the flooring process. And at this moment, this is a, in the anandabodying process. It's a process, it had a beginning, it's going on right now and it's going to have an end. That's how it goes. So the, the, you know, the first fold of the Eightfold Path is, is understanding that. Simple fact, actually, but it's so difficult for us to get it because we, we feel more secure when things are things. So that's the, the first fold of the path. And then I'm not going to go through all of them, but the, since we, it's a new year and we're talking about intention, I wanted to also just speak about the, the second fold of the path, which is right intention or sometimes translated as right thought. And the and the Buddha speaks about right intention as being, or right, you know, as to having thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-harm, and non-ill will. So this is something I've been really taking to heart over the last few months. This, just that one fold of the path, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-harm and non-ill will. So it's not just about thinking about it, you know, sitting in my room thinking about it, and then I go out and I, f and I forget and I do things, but it's about bringing that into my experience. You know, when I feel like I'm right and I want to have my way, thoughts of renunciation. How would it be if I just let someone else have their way today, or in this moment? And it's a little bit of a wrench, because I want to have it my way. 
But then it's like, just just give that up, you know, just just let go of that, and allow it to allow someone else to at this moment be in there um, and have things the way they would like. Or it might be that I want to I want to have something, and then I, so there was there was a there's a particular chocolate that we really liked when we first came to the Vihara that you have in America that we don't have in England. And we all like this chocolate. And so people ask, what kind of, we can eat chocolate in the afternoon, but we don't eat a meal in the afternoon. So once in a while, we have chocolate in the afternoon, and there was this one particular one that we really liked. So people would ask, you know, what would you like? And we'd say, we'd say well, you know, if you get this particular brand, we'd only ask close friends, but if you, could, if you get this particular brand, it'd be really nice. But then after a while, I found out that this particular brand uh, had slavery in the background, child slavery in the background, and was actually quite um, unabashed about it, even when when uh, when it, it became public and, you know, it was in, in the news and everything. The the company just said, "Well, you know, you can't run a company as big as ours without doing that." So, mm-hmm. y- yes, you know, that is part of it. And so it's like, okay, this this is horrendous. And you know, there are little children. I don't remember what country they're in, but they're little little kids, quite young kids, who are being used as slaves to to pick cocoa beans to make chocolate for us in America. Even a nun, a renunciant nun, to eat this nice chocolate. So we can enjoy ourselves. And that, these little kids have never even tasted chocolate. They don't even know what type of chocolate tastes like. So I thought, like, okay, no way. You know, we have to tell these friends who have been asking, please don't bring this anymore. Don't buy this anymore. Because there's slavery in this chocolate. And even if it tastes nice, it's a favourite one. It's like, it's easy. Just give it up. You know, it's, not, it's not actually worth it. So there are many things, I think, in our lives when we look when we look at well, what is behind what we're doing and what we're using, it's like to, t- to really take it in and weigh it up. Is it worth it? Do I really need this? Or can I give that up? Give up my pleasure in order to free someone else from some pain? So um, I think uh, we can all look in our lives at, at situations where <coughs> you know, what we're consuming, how we're Travelling, all kinds of stuff that that rather than just taking the the final product to look at where does it come from, what's in this, and then uh, you might find you have to slightly remodel your life around that. You know, what's the? I'm about to fly to the UK very soon. And, you know, that's got in my mind. It's very. It's kind of quite uncomfortable to kick up the carbon footprint to that degree. So uh, you know, to really weigh it up, is it is it worth it or not? You know, is this something? But I don't do it. I don't just go without knowing that it has an effect on the rest of the planet and the life on this planet. So to just to be conscious of, of our actions and the results of our actions. So thoughts of renunciation, you know, they can be in, in little things in the moment, or they can be in, in bigger things in our lives. And thoughts of non-harm. So, uh, you know, just noticing when the mind suddenly comes up with a, um, I don't know, maybe a, a bitchy thought or a harmful thought towards somebody, wishing somebody harm, 
notice it because I think in our culture it's very very normal and it's in the media ever it's very very normalized but uh, the Buddha is saying that this is this is going in the wrong direction you know thoughts of thoughts of harm lead to harmful speech lead to harmful action you know? so recognizing whenever a harmful thought arises in your mind and just catching it at that moment and stopping don't follow it put it down, don't even indulge in the thought just, even if it feels pleasant to have it just stop right there give it up, put it down and then uh, thoughts of non-ill will (laughs) so ill will, as I'm discovering has uh, many, many nuances I didn't think I was particularly prone to ill will but I realised that I have quite a lot in there really (laughs) And it has many nuances, so it can be very overt hatred, or it, and it can go, or it can be as subtle as just a slight resentment, a, a pushing away. So to look at when those thoughts arise in the mind, which is probably quite frequent, and to um, really pay close attention to it, to the fact that there's resentment right now there's aversion right now there's um, irritation maybe you know who, whatever, whatever to whatever degree it comes just to really recognize that not to, just not to take it as normal part of who I am but to recognize this is a quality that leads in the wrong direction it leads to harm rather than to, to freedom and uh, you know, there are many ways that we can transform that so one is simply shining the light of awareness on our experience and letting it burn there in the light of awareness so not acting on it letting it just burn up and we can also cultivate metta or maitri loving kindness in, 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 the easy, in the good times in the easy times when it's easy to cultivate them cultivate it then and then in the challenging times it's there you've got it there to, to bring in to situations so, to, so the antidote of ill will is, uh, is loving kindness and also I think generosity so to look for both to, to really scrutinise and pay attention to the movements of the heart and mind not to take it all too personally not to make a me and mine out of it but to recognise the places that need work and then to pick up the practice, the practices which turn the heart mind around in a way that we can actually respond to life with compassion and wisdom, even in really challenging times. So this is the intention that the Buddha points to. This is an intention that leads to freedom, that leads to safety for oneself and others and that naturally leads on to um, right speech, right action, right livelihood and then there's the, the effort right effort, so the effort to um, to not um, the effort to not stir up unwholesome states that are are latent in us and when unwholesome states are risen to abandon them 
so I've already mentioned that already and the efforts to arouse wholesome states and to maintain those wholesome states once they're arisen so this is right effort and then there's right mindfulness and right concentration so that's the, this is the Eightfold Path that the Buddha points us to though if you follow this path it will lead to the ending of suffering uh, you know, both in the, in the big picture and also in the, in the moment, in daily life in our experience of, 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 this, of, of being this process of whichever particular name you have and, of, and also in, in, in how we meet the world how we manifest in the world and how we affect the world so uh, it's kind of the core teaching and it's a simple teaching but it's a, a practice in every moment so I'd just like to offer that for this morning's reflection and for this year's reflection because who knows I may not be back <laughs> until another year anyone thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate